welcome back, beloved. My heart is a little heavy as I make this video today. I have to be honest, I'm even a little bit nervous about making it. Uh, this video has been on my mind a little over a month now. I actually put the scriptures together about a month ago and then through some things and some current events and some current developments I'm going to show you it was just really on my heart this morning and I decided to just kind of move forward with it and so the the video today I want to take a good amount of time and explain what this video is the title is everything Jesus said about hell and it's actually everything Jesus while in the body on earth, right? He's in the body now in heaven, but it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John during the Gospels of Jesus Christ, during Jesus's earthly ministry. It's everything he said about hell. And the reason I'm making this video right now is America is running off a cliff of theological liberalism, where people, even in Big Eva, are starting to just deny the clear reality of scripture. They say hell is all manner of things. They say hell is an identity, hell is a place on earth, hell is um, something we created, hell is this, hell is that, uh, and they just deny what scripture clearly teaches. And so I wanted to compile everything Jesus said about it while on earth. Not everything the New Testament says about it, not everything the Bible says about it, just everything Jesus said about uh, it during his earthly ministry. And I'm going to explain why I chose that sort of red letter, I guess you could say red letter, approach to this in a bit. But first, I want to show you some videos of some, ve some very popular ministries, some of them at times even full of biblical truth, who have ran off this cliff denying biblical hell denying the substitutionary atonement that Christ died for our sins, and some things that might be around you all the time right now, but you might not know what's going on behind the scenes. And so I want to show you some of these clips and break them down. And then from there, we'll get into why uh, further developments on this video. And then finally, I want to break down these scriptures for you, which is the crux of the entire video. Oh, and that word and what that refers to, it's not someplace other than heaven and earth. It's a place where people are sustained by God's mercy and care, but God allows them the dignity of not being in a relationship with him if they don't want. So this is Tim Mackey of The Bible Project. And in the past, you can Google it, he's made videos against substitutionary atonement, that Christ did not die uh, for our sins to satisfy the wrath of God. And so obviously, if he holds that false teaching, he can't believe in hell, right? And so obviously he doesn't. He believes hell is a place of God's mercy and care where God will take care of you. Um, but it's if you don't want to be in a relationship, God will allow you that dignity. Well, that's a really good example of earth that God in his mercy and love allows people on earth not to be in a relationship with him and he cares for them. But that's a temporary state. And when you die, you're going to go to heaven or hell. And so it, it's very sad that Tim Mackey of the Bible Project 
holds to this. And very recently, you can Google this, very recently, he's come out pretty pro-LGBTQ. He's come out saying, you know, God doesn't really care if you're straight or gay as long as you're celibate and different things like that. So he's drifting further and further towards liberalism. You have to understand the Bible warns about wolves and sheep's clothing. There is no greater deception than to get everything right in the Bible, like all the great stories about Samson and Noah and Jonah and the whale and all that. Get everything right, but miss the gospel. Get the one thing wrong that can save you. He denies that Christ died to satisfy the wrath of God. He denies there's a place of punishment. He actually denies heaven being a real place as well. So he denies both hell and heaven. Watch what he says here next. Whatever hell is, God didn't make it. So God didn't make hell. Someone else created hell, and he believes humans created it. Hell is something that humans have created. And so it's very sad the way Tim Mackey and the Bible Project have gone. It doesn't matter how much of the Word of God you get right. You have to get the gospel right. You have to understand that Christ died to satisfy the wrath of God for his elect, for his chosen, for his bride. Um, another thing, people are la- beginning to laugh about biblical hell a lot and make it a joke. And they seem to be making uh, the devil a joke a lot. A lot of big Eva things, TV shows all around us, make the devil and hell a complete joke. And I just simply don't understand it. I'm not here to call everyone a false teacher. I'm, I'm literally perplexed. I'm literally confused. I'm literally brokenhearted. As I watch these things, I don't understand why is one side, people evangelizing and people out there uh, preaching the biblical truth and exegeting scripture, why are they so uh, trying to you know, convince the world that hell is real, that the devil is real, that God's wrath is real, and that you must turn to Christ? And then a whole other group of people seem to want to make that all a joke, and yet they claim to be on the same side. This is an advertising campaign The Chosen took out, and it makes fun of hell, and it makes fun of the devil. And read Jude verse 9, and read 2 Peter 2.12. It says they blaspheme things they don't know. Even Michael the archangel wouldn't mock or, or give a railing accusation against the devil. We are not called to do that. We are not allowed to do that. And it does warn that that type of behavior, it associates it with false teachers and those who pervert grace as a license to sin. Hello class, welcome to hell. Chuck here sounds like fingernails. Erasers sound like Nickelback. But you know what's even worse? This high quality TV series about Jesus called The Chosen. And so now I'm just, this is the creator of The Chosen, Dallas Jenkins. I made just a couple videos on the series The Chosen and how he met with Pope Francis and they're, they're partnering with Catholic uh, ministries. However, this is an interview with Glenn Beck, um, who is essentially Mormon, but he's like half Christian, half Mormon. It's very difficult to figure out what he believes online, which is sad. We want to be upfront about it, but he does appear to be Mormon. And they're talking here, and it just seems like they have no concept of the atonement, of the gospel, of their own sinfulness. And it's really sad because Dallas has said that his goal with the Chosen series, he's the creator, the producer of it, is to show people the authentic Jesus, to show the authentic Jesus to the entire world. And it's sad that, you know, that's what he thinks he's doing, but here he displays that he doesn't even understand the basics of the gospel structure around us than others i i just don't think that uh i don't think god's gonna you know send me to a lake of fire and brimstone because i didn't go to the right college 
You know, <laughs> I didn't I I was going to the wrong church. I was doing that. He is he is. I don't want to be around a God like that. It's exactly what the Bible says. The light is coming to the world, but men hated the light because their deeds were evil. You see, we don't naturally think we deserve to go to hell. We'll say we're not perfect all day. We'll say, oh, I fall short every day. But when it really comes down to, do you deserve to go to hell? Of course not. I'm, I'm a decent guy. You know, maybe God's not going to tell me, oh, you went to the wrong church, you're a Mormon, or you went to the wrong college. We don't understand how holy God is. In the garden, he said, don't eat the fruit. Don't eat the fruit, which is uh, eating fruit, in my opinion, is less serious than going to the wrong church, right? That has a false teaching and a false gospel. And in Adam all die. Countless souls will be in hell because of the sin of Adam in the garden. And so God does not dwell with sin. He does not owe anyone forgiveness or mercy. And those he has forgiven, those he's died for, and those he's regenerated by, uh, by grace and by his Holy Spirit, they know they're sinners. The Bible says they actually loathe themselves for their deeds. Godly sorrow works repentance. And so look what happens here. I, I mean, if he's like, you know what? You're a good person. You lived a good life, but sorry, you went to the wrong place. Uh, gee, dad, I think that's a little harsh, don't you? <laughs> And so Dallas Jenkins laughs with him, but then not only does he laugh with him, he sort of agrees with him. He's like, yeah, you just missed this one point. God would never send you to hell for that. Uh, listen, we deserve to go to hell. That is justice. No matter, And we've all missed way more than one point. There is no one good but God. And, you know, he just called himself, you're a good person, but... That's not what Judgment Day is going to look like. God is going to open up the law, and we're going to see that none of us are good. Jesus said there's no one good but God. That's why it's shocking that Christ would die for anyone. Therefore, you're right. Yeah. Hell is just a freely chosen identity based on something else besides God going on forever. Hell is just your freely chosen identity based on something else besides God going on forever. This is Timothy Keller, and once again, I'm not even calling him a false teacher. I've not done enough research on Timothy Keller. I know he's been rebuked recently by John MacArthur uh, for some false teaching, but just teaching one thing false does not make you a false teacher. But he says hell is just a freely chosen identity uh, that you that you choose, and then his whole church, you're going to see in a second, they've been to kind of laugh at the biblical concept of hell. So this give you in your mind that God is a God who sort of throws people into hell, you know, he sort of throws them into this, you know, into this pit, and they're climbing up the side saying, please no, and let me out. And God's saying, no, it's too late now. It's, uh, it's hell for you. C.S. Lewis. People are laughing in the audience, guys. People are laughing. Heller, uh, Keller is mocking the biblical understanding of hell. Hey guys, uh, sitting here. This is the Babylon Bee. They're a pretty good news and satire website, but this is why you can't build on any other foundation but the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. They call themselves evangelistic, but it's, it's sad how they try to evangelize to Elon Musk, and it's sad they're doing the same thing the Chosen did. They're like, look, the devil doesn't want you to follow us. Be holy. Follow us. You know, same thing as the Chosen series. It's, it's, they blaspheme what they do not know. This is not a joke. I see that you're mindlessly scrolling down your timeline. One thing I absolutely do not want you to do is to subscribe and support the Babylon Bee. They're independent, conservative Christian satire. Blech. They use satire to communicate truth. And if you subscribe... 
And so it is, it's incredibly sad to me that we're mocking hell and we're mocking the devil. Um, we have no understanding of what we're doing and how serious these things are. And so the reason I'm making this video is because I believe you cannot understand the magnitude of the grace, the mercy, the love of God without understanding the holiness, justice, wrath, and law of God. Those two go hand in hand. What we deserve versus what we got from, from Christ and from God. And so for the believer, I want you to be strengthened and edified in your understanding of Jesus's teachings on hell. For the non-believer, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not the satire of the Lord, not the winsomeness of the Lord, not the niceness. No, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's by the fear of the Lord a man turns from iniquity. The fear of the Lord is clean, it endures forever. And Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Finally, the reason I'm making this video, 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, the Spirit explicitly says, only time in Scripture it says this, the Spirit explicitly says, in the latter time, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings from demons, demonic teachings. And so I'm making this video to correct some, what I believe are demonic influences and demonic false teachings. Now, I want to make it very clear. I believe salvation is by grace, the unmerited favor of God. You can do nothing to earn it through faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe he works through means. He works through the means of people preaching his gospel. He works, works through the means of repentance and faith. He works through the means of godly sorrow and the fear of the Lord through the word of God. God's spirit flows through his word. And so as men learn about what Jesus said about hell and learn the truth versus error, God uses that to bring them to salvation. I was very fearful and terrified of the wrath of God as I was coming, uh, you know, the father leads you to the son. And I went through many months of really not being sure I was saved, not understanding the gospel, being fearful of the Lord, having godly sorrow. And then I was born again. And God led me through all that by his grace. I didn't do anything, but I want to be faithful to the word of God. So these false teachings is number one, that there is no hell, right? That, that's, that's clearly against, you're going to see today, <clears throat> that is clearly against what Jesus taught. However, there seems to be this great separation. The world is trying to separate the Old Testament God, they call him a God of wrath, and the New Testament God, grace. But if you really study the Bible, you'll realize God was gracious when he saved Noah. Noah didn't deserve to be saved. God was gracious. He called Abraham out of being an idolater. And the New Testament God is uh, the same God. Jesus is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. And so there is grace and mercy because Christ fully reveals it. But he also reveals the truth, the coming wrath and justice of God. These two, the, the whole Bible speaks of one God. Okay, there is one God. So the world tries to pit the word of God against itself, like Paul against Peter or Paul against Jesus or Old Testament God versus New Testament God. It's all silliness. It's all false teaching. It's all demonic. They also deny the full account of scripture, the red letter doctrine. So this is what I want you to understand. There are some people that sort of pit the Jesus on earth against the rest of the Bible. They say the Jesus on earth was only gentle. He was only loving. He was a cotton candy, soft, 
uh, sort of feminine Jesus that the world seems to love right now. And they really just deny what he said on earth. So I'm essentially using what they say that while Jesus was on earth, that that's what matters the most. Whereas I, I disagree. I think Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is all the word of God. It's all equally valuable. Every word of the Lord endures forever. It's all for us, right? So uh, we need the full account of scripture. However, I'm going to use their own argument against them. You're going to see in this video everything Jesus said, not about just judgment. I, I got not just judgment, about torment eternally, about hell eternally. Finally, mocking biblical hell is nothing more than mocking the wrath of God. God is the one that keeps hell hot. And so I've created a list of all the scriptures where Jesus is specifically talking about the lake of fire during his earthly ministry. And I'm not going to go over all of them today because some of them repeat each other. Like many of the stories in Matthew are also in Mark or in Luke. Okay, but I want you guys, I think this is a really edifying study when we look at exactly what Jesus said uh, about this place. We're going to go through a lot of Matthew today, some of Luke, some of John, uh, one verse in Revelation. And, um, you know, it's, it's really important that I express here, this is not everything the New Testament says about the lake of fire. Go to Revelation 22, Revelation 21, uh, and Revelation 20. It's incredibly uh, clear. But this is during Jesus's earthly ministry. And I'm cutting out, even though the Holy Spirit in the Bible retold the stories of Matthew in, let's say, Mark or Luke, I'm cutting that out for time's sake. And so this is really one of the clearest teachings in the whole Bible. And that's why it is so dangerous that we're changing what Jesus has taught us about this place. My goal is to take part in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in God's ministry. I don't, I don't want to have my own ministry. I want to take part in what God's doing which God is saving people from his own wrath. God is saving people from this place, but it's not without acknowledging the truth of how grievous our sin is and that we deserve justly to go to this place. And so I wanted to start before Christ started his ministry, John the Baptist was prophesied uh, in Matthew 3 as the, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, making ready the way of the Lord. It says, make his path straight. And John the Baptist was a fire and brimstone preacher. I mean, when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He was preaching about wrath. Now, he was also preaching about salvation and tender mercies from on high. You can read in Luke chapter 1. But he even said, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. The trees are the nation of Israel at the time, the non-believers. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit, he said, is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's very important to understand before grace comes truth, before the gospel that reveals that Christ fulfilled the law for us and died for us is the law, right? It's opening up our eyes to the great debt we have and how sick we are before God. Then that prepares our hearts and we look for that sacrifice and Christ is that sacrifice. John the Baptist said, Christ's winnowing fork is in his hand. He will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So right away, reveal, scripture reveals what hell is. It is unquenchable fire. 
Now we get to the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 5. He says, everyone, you've heard it said basically that everyone who's angry, uh, who, who commits murder will be liable to the court. Jesus doesn't give us new laws. He reveals what the law really means. He, he reveals the holy standards of God. He says, I'm telling you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be guilty before court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, will be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, will be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. We've all done this. We've all called people fools in our hearts. We've all done this. We're all guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. It's not that God's going to look at us on Judgment Day and say, you're a good person, but you did this wrong. No, it's that we're not good people, and the law reveals that to us, and it's very important. He said, you've heard it was said you shouldn't commit adultery. That's true, but I'm telling you, if you even look at a woman with lust for her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. He says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This idea of being thrown into hell or being cast into hell, this is a biblical idea. We Christians didn't make this up. Christians didn't make up the words fire and brimstone. These are the words of Almighty God. And so the goal of this video is not to fully exegete every verse. I'm not advocating you cut out your right eye or anything. I don't think Jesus actually is either, because even if you were to cut off your right eye or your right hand, you would still sin because sin is a problem of the heart. But I think what Jesus is, is emphasizing here is if you refuse to repent, if you refuse to believe, yes, it would have been better if you didn't have an eye. Like that is how serious sin is. That is how deathly serious it is. It's, it's not a joke. He says, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus was a fire and brimstone preacher. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. The book of Jude calls it everlasting eternal destruction, and there are many who enter through it. He goes on to say in Matthew chapter 7 verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's the exact same thing John the Baptist said. So although Jesus revealed grace, he also revealed the truth that most people will reject his message. Matthew chapter 8, the demons literally see Jesus. And many times they acknowledge him and they say, what, what business do we have with each other, right? What does light have to do with darkness? And they call him the son of God. They say, have you come here to torment us before the time? You see, the demons are intimately aware that they have a place of everlasting torment awaiting for them. And they see and they fear God over that. Even though they don't submit to him, they know it's coming and they fear that. Uh, they don't want to be tormented before their time. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. This is very important to understand. Rather fear him, fear God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So here he reveals more about hell. I think it's very important just to get the biblical teaching of hell. It is a place for your soul and body. There is a resurrection of the godly. We get new bodies. We go to heaven with Christ forever. New heavens, new earth. There's a resurrection of the damned. There, there's literally a new body 
fitted for hell. Read Daniel chapter 12, and your soul will eternally live in torment with your body. It's terrifying. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus spoke about hell in, in most, if not all, of his parables. Uh, well, most, I should say. Matthew chapter 13, uh, there's the parable of the wheat and the tares. The, the wheat are believers, the tares are non-believers. It says, allow both of them to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, the second coming of Christ, I will say to the reapers, the angels, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew, he then explains that. He says, the tares are gathered up and burned with fire. So shall it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send forth his angels. Or you can read Revelation 14. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, those who practice lawlessness and walk in that, that, that are not born again believers. They are hypocrites or they're rejectors of Christ. I will throw them into the furnace of fire. Here he reveals it again. He, it, they will be thrown into a furnace of fire. I'm not, I'm not making this up. Christians are not making this up. We don't desire that for people. If anyone deserves to go to this place, I tell you the truth, it's me. It's I deserve to go to this place. I'm shocked that Christ has saved me from this place. And I desire he saves everyone listening from that place. I, I want you to be saved from this wicked generation. But look at how Jesus preached the gospel. Look at how Jesus preached to people. He did not hide the truth from them. They will be thrown into the furnace of fire. And then he says, in that place, there will be weeping. People will be crying and wailing for all eternity. They won't have planned to end up in hell. You see, Romans 1 says, everyone knows there's a God. We are all accountable to him on judgment day. We suppress that truth. Many people plan to get saved in America before they die or after they get their next promotion or this or that. And in God's mercy, many of them will get saved, but most will not. And they will be brokenhearted that they, they won't have planned to end up in hell. They would have planned at some point in their life to do something about it. I, I had planned to get saved right before I died for many years when I loved sin so much. And I, I thank God he, he saved me in, in his own time and in his own way. But there will also be gnashing of teeth, not just in pain, but that's a, that's a euphemism for human fury. People will say, this is harsh, dad. How dare you send me here? I don't want to be around a God who would send me here. All eternity, they will not repent. They will go on hating God and not believing they deserve to be there. And they will gnash their teeth in anger. It's terrifying, but it's true. Matthew 13 goes on to say it's another parable about a dragnet that they dragged into the beach and they gathered good fish into containers, just like the wheat in the barn, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, Jesus says, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It, Jesus makes this so abundantly clear. If hell were eternal destruction, like you get thrown into the fire and you die right away, uh, some people teach that false teaching, there wouldn't be any weeping. You wouldn't have time to weep. You would be instantly dead. It doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make sense with the rest of scripture too. Matthew 18, Jesus says again, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into, this is another important word, the eternal fire. So here he calls it not just fire. He says it's eternal fire. It's terrifying, but it's true. 
And once again, if your eye causes you to stumble, same thing. To, better, better to you know lose your eye now than to be cast into the fiery hell. And once again, I'm not advocating you to mutilate your body. Sin is a heart issue. You need a new heart. Jesus said, make the tree good or make the tree bad. Salvation is by grace. It is a sovereign work of God where he sprinkles you with clean water, his spirit from heaven, and you have a new heart and a new spirit. That's what you need if you're not in Christ. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus told another parable, very important parable, okay? It's about a, a, a wedding feast, a, a, di- a great dinner, a great feast. The book of Proverbs has much to say about wisdom throwing a feast, and uh, it's hard not to see the correlations if you want to read Proverbs chapter 7 and 8. However, uh, it says the king came in to look over the dinner guests, right? This pictures, you know, people, uh, and, and Jesus is obviously the king. And he sees a man there who's not dressed in wedding clothes. And you have to understand these wedding clothes are the very righteousness of Christ, the very righteousness of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ reveals God's righteousness, not our own, which is from faith to faith. And those wedding clothes, if you read Isaiah 61, it talks about being robed with the garments of salvation. You have to understand when we fell in the garden, we lost all righteousness. We became worthless. We became evil and cursed. And we tried to cover that up with fig leaves. That's what Mormonism is. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses. That's what Catholicism is. That's what all works-based salvation. I'm going to cobble together a few fig leaves and I'm going to put it on top of someone dying of leprosy and their skin is putrid. That's, that's how we're described as sinners. We are, you know, a few fig leaves isn't going to cover us. But what does God do in the garden out of the abundance of his grace? He slaughters an animal and he clothes them with the skin. That's the first gospel foreshadowing there. And he promises a seed is coming, a Messiah is coming who will conquer the devil. And that's Christ, okay? And so this person doesn't have on God's righteousness. So what is he wearing? He's wearing his own self-righteousness. And so Jesus asks him, how'd you come in here? How'd you come into the wedding feast without wedding clothes? And this is so key, the man was speechless. You see, on Judgment Day, it says the law speaks to those under the law that every mouth may be stopped. Read Romans 3. On Judgment Day, everyone will be speechless. They will see the law. They will see their evil deeds written down in the books, Revelation 20. They will see every selfish thought they have, every homeless person they passed over, everything. every time they were rude to their wife, every lustful thought they've ever had, every video of pornography they ever watched, everything and they will be speechless and then they will look at the righteousness of Christ and of God they will have nothing to say they won't be thinking God is harsh they will see it that's why it's a place hell Daniel 12 says of eternal shame and so this man is speechless he has his own righteousness and now he can clearly see the righteousness of God and he doesn't measure up and says, then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So once again, Jesus now describes hell as a place of eternal fire, a place of weeping and gnashing teeth, a place for your soul and your body. And finally, even though there's fire there, there's no light. It is a dark fire, an eternal winter, I guess you could say, outer darkness. It's terrifying, but it's true. And Jesus reveals a lot of details about this place. And Jesus has all wisdom. So if he's revealing it, it's important. If he's speaking about hell more than heaven, it's important. Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, he says, you're hypocrites. 
you, this is very important, you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. You don't enter in yourselves, and you do not allow those who are entering to go in. So Jesus warns, there are wolves in sheep's clothing, there are false religious groups, there are self-righteous people that hover around the narrow road to life, and they don't go in, they just try and block people's way. But he speaks about hell here in a second. It's very important. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You devour widows' houses for a pretense you make long prayers. You will receive greater condemnation. Hell is condemnation. It is a sentence. And he's saying you're praying for nonsense's sake. You're praying to show people how holy or pious you are. You're devouring widows' houses. You're committing adultery. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You. This is very key. This is where he talks about hell. You travel around on sea and land. You evangelize to make one proselyte. You travel the world to get one convert, uh, kind of like Mormons knocking on your doors all the time. But when he becomes one, so you do convert him, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. This is terrifying. This is Jesus, the Lord of the universe, saying, not only do false religions uh, lead to hell, they literally convert a, a pagan or somebody who has no knowledge of Christ or limited knowledge of Christ to a false gospel and a false Christ, and he becomes twice as much a son of hell. He fills up the wrath. It would have been better for him never to join that religion. I don't care what suit a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon wears. I don't care uh, how, how sweet they look or how beautiful they look or uh, how beautiful Catholicism looks with its, its huge cathedrals. It doesn't matter. What gospel do they preach? Is it works or is it grace? Or is it a perversion of works mixed with grace like the Catholic Church? All it will do is it will be effective. It will convert people and they will be twice as much a son of hell. Jesus talked about the children of God and the children of the devil. John chapter 8, there are sons of the kingdom. And here there are false evangelists and false preachers and false religions making people a son of hell. And that's terrifying, but it's true. He said, you serpents, you brood of vipers, just like John the Baptist. How will you escape, very important, the sentence of hell? God is a just judge, the Bible said, and a God who is angry with the wicked every day, Psalm 5 and Psalm 7. Hell is a sentence. It's so important that we understand this. If you say you don't naturally deserve to go to hell, you are essentially calling God, the moral judge of the universe, unjust and harsh. And that's what non-believers do. That's what those not genuinely converted do. We don't agree with the law. We don't agree with the sentence of hell. You know, go to Revelation 20. There is a judgment day. On that day, no one is going to look at God as harsh. They're going to look at God as holy and just. And so it's very important to understand hell is a sentence. It's a perfectly just sentence. Heaven is grace. It's mercy. No one deserves to go there. Matthew 24, Jesus told another parable and he talks about an evil slave, an evil servant that says in his heart, my master's not coming for a long time. We're told in the last day there will be scoffers saying, Jesus isn't coming back. And he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with the drunkards. He's taking advantage. He's wasting his life. It says the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know. He won't be looking for Christ. It says he'll cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Luke retells this story, I believe, and it says a place with the 
unbelievers. Hypocrites, what they do is they say they believe, but they don't actually believe. The, the very fountain of all sin is unbelief. E even for believers, even when we fall into sin, it's usually we don't believe something we should be believing, right? We, we fall into that, right? But hypocrites, people the Bible says, they don't actually believe the gospel. They don't actually believe Jesus is God. They haven't genuinely been converted. They are non-believers. It says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said the same thing again and again and again and again. He told the parable of the talents, uh, where we've been given gifts by God, and we've been given opportunities in this world, and we're supposed to use them as best we can, and we all fall short uh, for God's kingdom. And he says, he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground. He hid his master's money. He wasted what God had given like the prodigal son. And so he goes on to say, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Beloved, you are not saved by your fruit. You are not saved by your good works. They are just a manifestation that you have been saved. If Christ has regenerated your heart, if he has made you a new tree, you will naturally produce fruit. If you look to that fruit for your salvation, you're trying to be justified by your works. I, I do not add anything to the salvation Christ has done for me. However, uh, if Christ has saved us, yes, there will be fruit. Everybody's going to have at least a few grapes. And Jesus goes on to say, all the nations will be gathered before him, the Son of Man, Jesus of Nazareth. All the nations are going to be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The more you read the Bible, the more polemically you will think, okay, that there's not a lot of gray areas in the Bible that actually matter. There's plenty of, uh, you know, a couple doctrines that aren't as important as the gospel that Christians can, can debate over, and that's, I think, even edifying to have some healthy disagreements. But when we get to the gospel, when we get to the righteous and the wicked, heaven, hell, what is the gospel? What is works? What is grace? It's so clear. All the nations will be gathered. They'll be separated sheep and goats. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. Sheep are believers, goats are unbelievers. There's not a third category. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's good fish and bad fish. There's not like okay fish. There's, uh, you know, wheat and tares. There's not dandelions, okay? It's so polemic. There's one or the other. You either love the true gospel and the true Christ of the Bible, or you are a hypocrite and you actually hate him no matter what you say. It's clear. And so the king says to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit. It's a gift. It's an inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God has always had a plan. The gospel reveals that plan. Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before we were ever born, God had decided to give some of these guilty rebels who hated him forgiveness and mercy and grace, and they will be a kingdom. He will spare them as jewels in his crown on the day of the Lord, and, and we will be spared from this wrath that we righteously deserve. But then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones. This is where we talk about hell again. Accursed ones. In the, in the garden, Genesis 3, we broke the law. The law brings death, and a curse came. The wrath of God is that curse. On the cross, Christ bears that curse. He bears that wrath from us. But for those who reject him, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which is very important. It has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And we know that the devil and his angels are going to be tormented there. Hell is a place of torment. It is retribution. 
It is not redemptive. God is not trying to teach you something in hell. He's trying to teach you something right now on earth. If you're not in Christ, if you're not a disciple of Christ, if you haven't given your life to him, if you haven't been born again, he's trying to teach you something right now. Every good thing in your life, God's goodness is supposed to bring you to repentance. Every bad thing is supposed to get you to realize, yes, there is a judgment day coming. And so he says, depart from me, accursed ones. He goes on to say in Matthew 25, these will go away into, very important verse, eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. None of the false teachers out there would dare to say that the righteous don't get eternal life, right? I mean, that's a good teaching. That's a, that's a great teaching. Nobody's going to argue with eternal life. We all naturally want eternal life. But then false teachers will turn around and say hell is just a place of destruction. Either A, hell doesn't exist, or B, they'll, they'll, they won't go that far in, into falsehood. They'll say, well, hell is real, but it's just if you don't want God, you're thrown in there, you die instantly, and then you're sort of soul sleep for the rest of your life. This verse clearly says they go away to eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. And so if eternal life is eternal life, eternal punishment is eternal punishment. I'm not saying I like it this way. I'm saying this is the truth. Luke chapter 10. Now we'll, we'll go from Matthew to Luke. Jesus says on judgment day, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, two cities, two wicked cities in the judgment than for you. And he says, and you Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. You'll be brought down to hell. Hell is a place where there are levels of judgment. You've heard, you, I'm not going to say you've heard it been said, but many people say falsely that all sin is the same. That's true in one sense. All sin is the same and that God will not dwell with sin and all sin can justly condemn us under the law for eternity. But all sin is not the same when it comes to punishment. Tyre and Sidon were wicked uh, cities. They rejected the revelation of God in creation and they rejected their conscience. Capernaum, had the preaching of the Messiah, had the miracles of Jesus, had the scriptures, you are going to be judged in the amount of light that you have, divine light. If you're a Buddhist living on an island, I, I highly doubt you're watching my video, but if you are and you've never heard the gospel by some miracle in 2023, you're going to be judged based on God speaking to you in creation and in your conscience. But if you live in America, which most of you do, you're going to be judged based on the fact that you have all 50 translations of the Bible sitting in your pocket on an iPhone day and night. You have the clear revelation of Scripture. You can go to Walmart and buy a Bible right now. You can get it for free on your phone. You have all the divine words that God is ever going to speak to mankind until he comes back, <laughs> and you want nothing to do with it. And it is terrifying for me, that's why I have such a heart to evangelize to Americans. It's it's terrifying. We are going to be brought down to hell just like Capernaum. We must repent. We are going to be in the very deepest circles of hell. We have so much divine light. We have faithful preachers in America. We have the word of God. Uh, we have it all. Men bled and died just to share a few verses to people of the word of God. We have it all sitting around in our pockets all day, and we want nothing to do with it. So hell is not an equal playing ground. It's a just punishment. It, it reflects the law that was laid down in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy. Go read the law if you want to have an idea of God's justice. If you cut off somebody's hand, you lose your hand. If you cut out someone's eye, it was eye for eye. So axiomatically, it's basically saying that it... it 
gouging out. So it's not like they gouged off your hand because you took out somebody's eye. It was equal. And it's much worse to lose your eye than your hand, right? Or, or finger or whatever it is. So yes, there are levels of punishment. It is sin to look at a woman with lust. It's an even greater sin to continue looking and lusting and then go physically act it out. Okay. And so it's important to understand that. And so then we move on to Luke chapter 12. Jesus says again, I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell, to throw into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He goes on to say in Luke 12, I have come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. He said, I didn't come for peace. I came for division. He came to bring peace on earth with among men whom God is pleased. He came to bring peace between rebellious mankind and almighty God. And he did that through the blood of his cross. Do not reject that. Luke chapter 13, very important verse. Someone said to Jesus, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? I I made a, a... a whole video, you can search it on my channel. Are there few who are being saved? Um, literally, somebody asked Jesus this. Most of the false teachers that deny hell uh, will also say everyone's ultimately going to end up in heaven. Kind of like Catholics, they've developed this fake place called purgatory. If you haven't been good enough, you get burned there for a little bit, and then you'll end up in heaven unless you're like Hitler or something. And so someone said to Jesus, Lord, are there just a few being saved? And he said to them, I mean, look, this is the clearest answer ever. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door. And you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. He will answer and say, I don't know where you're from. You're gonna say, and they're going to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You, you taught in our streets. And he'll say, I, I don't know you where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. I just want to go up really quick and explain. When he says strive, he's not preaching a works-based righteousness. There's a duality here. When you've been born again, it's a gift. You have a new heart and a new spirit. You naturally want to pant after the Lord. You naturally desire the Lord. You desire the word of God like babies and milk. It's a supernatural natural miracle. However, you enter that narrow road by the grace of God, and that is a difficult road. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And so there is a sense in which salvation is completely of grace, where God supernaturally regenerates your heart, and he gives you faith. Faith is a gift. And it's, it's four good works which have been prepared from the foundation. So even the good works any believer does, all the striving, any of that, walking along the narrow road, that is a gift from Almighty God. And he is calling people right now out of the broad road that leads to destruction to the narrow road. But one day, the head of the household, Jesus, will get up and shut the door. And then people will cry out to him and he will not listen. Proverbs 1, his patience will not go on eternally for everyone. His patience will go on eternally and his love eternally for his bride, for his children. In Luke chapter 16, he told a story, not a parable, a, a real story uh, about Lazarus and the uh, a poor man. And it says a poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died and was buried. So the poor man's with Abraham in in a heaven or a heaven-like place. The rich man died. The rich man did not treat the poor man good. Just like when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, Matthew 25, 
the goats didn't take care of the poor. The goats didn't uh, visit the homeless or, or do any of that stuff. And once again, he's not preaching a workspace righteousness. If we do those things, if we take care of the poor, if we love the sojourner, if we, do, if we love the bride of Christ, if there's anything good in us, it's not I, Paul said, but Christ in me. It's that he not only died to justify us, he also died to sanctify us. All of us who have been justified by Almighty God through the blood of Christ, by him taking our punishment. We've also been sanctified. We've been set apart. We've been cleansed for the obedience of the faith. Faith brings obedience. We really believe God, and so we really obey his word. Not perfectly, okay, but we are sanctified. And so the rich man died and was buried, and in hell, Hades, he's lifted up his eyes, being in torment. So once again, Jesus says it's a place of torment. He sees Abraham far away. Heaven is far away from hell and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cries out and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. He still thinks he's the boss of Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. Once again, you have to ask yourself, why is the Holy Spirit, why is Jesus revealing so many details about hell? It's because he wants us to know the details. He wants us to fear him. He wants us to have a sense of urgency about this place. This place is not a joke so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. Lazarus is in such, uh, excuse me, the rich man is in such torment. He just wants a drop of water. He says, I'm in agony in this flame. And Abraham says, child, remember during your life, you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he's being comforted and you are in agony. And besides this, very important, between us and you, there's a great chasm. Imagine like a Grand Canyon, right? A great chasm and it's fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, even if they wanted to, they couldn't do that. And that none may cross over from there to us. You see, those in heaven have been purified by the blood of Christ. They enjoy an intimate fellowship with God. God does not dwell with sin. God does not acquit the guilty. He poured out the wrath. He punished Christ on the cross for the sins of his bride, for the sins of anyone who would believe, anyone who believes, anyone who goes to Jesus. It's for pardon and forgiveness of sin. But you can't go visit hell where sin is in that sense. There's a great chasm fixed, okay? And and literally, I mean, we were all we, we were all so far from God, as far as the heavens are, the, the galaxy and the universe from the, the earth. That's how far we are from God in our sin. And what's what span that chasm, the bridge, Jesus is the ladder from Genesis that reaches to heaven. Jesus crossed that great chasm for us. That's what he did. He bridges us. He's the God-man, the Prince of Peace. And so that's the only way we were able to get to heaven is by him bearing the wrath and creating this bridge for us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house. He immediately becomes an evangelist in hell. He says, I have five brothers in order that they may warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. They have the law. They have the prophets and let them hear them. And the rich man says, no, no, no. If someone goes to them from the dead, they they will repent. And Abraham says the truth. Most people don't go to Jesus, even though he did rise from the dead. He says to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. And this is what I want to tell you guys. If we reject the law of God, if if we reject the prophets, if we reject the word of God, even if we see a miracle, we won't believe it. We just won't 
do it. And I think that's what he's clearly saying here. It's like, no, even if they see a miracle, even if someone rises from the dead, they've rejected the word of God. It's become a reproach to them. And that is the pathway that leads to hell. Luke chapter 19 goes on to say, we're almost done. He calls 10 of his slaves and gives them 10 minas. He gives them an an amount of money, an inheritance, a temporary giftings and, and credibility, right? He says, do business with this until I come back. But this is very important. His citizens hated him. Those who are not in Christ hate God. They sent a delegation after him saying very important words. We do not want this man to reign over us. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You cannot have Jesus as Savior if you do not confess him as Lord. He does not require a perfect obedience. He's merciful. He's gracious. Many times we sin and we confess our sin and his blood washes it and and washes our feet all afresh. But yes, if Jesus is your Savior, he is also your Lord. If he is not your Lord, he is not your Savior. We do not want this man to reign over us. That is the attitude of those who will end up in hell. In Luke chapter 19, he says, These enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. This is very important to understand. We're going to finish up with just a few verses. Slay them in my presence. In a sense... And in a sense that we cannot understand, beloved, Revelation 14.10 is so important to understand the gospel, to understand hell, to understand this teaching. In a sense, Jesus's presence is in hell. Let me explain it. Revelation 14.10 is talking about those in hell and bearing the wrath of God. It says it's, it's tribulation. It's talking about anyone worshiping the Antichrist or the statue of the Antichrist, the image of the beast, or receiving the mark. It says... He will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. In the book of Psalms and throughout the Bible, you can look it up. There's a cup mixed of the wrath of God. It says it's mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, in the cup of his fury. He will be tormented with, very important, fire and brimstone. When we make fun of fire and brimstone preachers, when we mock like that, you're just making fun of the word of God. I, I don't... I didn't make it that way. That is the biblical text. Jesus described it as a lake of fire burning with sulfur. It is fire and brimstone. And and this is what you have to understand. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is sweating drops of blood. He says, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What a hero. What a loving savior. You got to understand this. What was in the cup Jesus wanted to pass from him? It was the wrath of God. For all those written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the universe. And Jesus drank that down to the dregs, three hours on the cross of darkness. In the Old Testament, darkness is a sign of his wrath, his judgment. Just like in Mount Sinai, the fire and the lightning when he delivered the law, Jesus is drinking in the curse. He's drinking in the wrath. He's drinking the wine of the wrath of God. But for those who reject him, They will drink it themselves for all eternity. And so they are tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. I believe Jesus will be the most terrifying thing in hell. Jesus is the Lord of heaven, earth, and he is the Lord of hell. His breath keeps the fire hot there. He's the mediator between God and man. And on his bride, he will mediate God's love and grace and goodness. And on the ungodly and the accursed, he will mediate God's wrath. 
He will not be there, I believe, in the physical sense, but in a sense which we cannot understand. His presence will be there for all eternity in the presence of his holy angels. I believe this is beyond our understanding. But it uses the word lamb. You see, the lamb, it doesn't just say the lion of the tribe of Judah will be in hell. That would make perfect sense. I don't know why exactly the Holy Spirit used the word lamb, but if I could take a guess at it, I would say it's like you don't understand. This God who, who is warning of eternal justice and eternal judgment and wrath He's the lamb. He's the lamb that died for us on the cross. He's tender. He was spit on. He was naked, even though he was the creator of the universe. He subjected himself to, to the law to die for us. He's calling people to come to him. Anyone, anyone who will believe, anyone who will come to him, he will not cast out. That very lamb. This is a good, merciful, loving God that we have angered. And on judgment day, it's going to be terrifying, not only the pain, but the shame of it. Finally, just one verse, John chapter 15, Jesus said, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And once again, I do not believe you can lose your salvation. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I follow them and I give them eternal life. He doesn't say, I give them life, and when they screw it up, I, I take it back. I don't believe that's what the Word of God says at all. Salvation is an eternal gift. However, if salvation is an eternal gift, and many people are also going to look at Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you, that tells me I don't believe you can lose it because your name's written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Jesus said, your name's recorded in heaven. Rejoice. He didn't say rejoice and then don't mess it up. That tells me a lot of people can trick themselves into thinking they have it. I believe that's what the interpretation of the Bible is. You know, 1 John chapter 2, it's talking about people that go out from the church, people who are against Christ, against the gospel. They go out from us, but they're really not of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown, revealed, manifested. They are not all of us. In John chapter 15, this is our last verse here. Jesus said, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Okay, so we as Christians should all desire to bear much fruit. I want to bear much fruit. I know you want to bear much fruit. That's good. It's good to desire those things. But not when we're thinking about justification, because Jesus says, and so prove to be my disciples. Any good deed you ever see a genuinely born-again Christian do is merely proving that God has graciously, sovereignly regenerated his heart, given him a new heart and a new spirit by grace, that God has gifted him with faith and, and, and purged him of his sins based on what Christ did on the cross. And so naturally, he's a new tree, he has new desires, he does good things, he's also still uh, in an, uh, the, the old man, the body is there, he's still going to fall into sin. Uh, but he is going to be different. When you meet Almighty God, you are different. There is just a radical movement afoot, uh, essentially saying that, you know, there's really no difference between believers and non-believers. And, and I believe there's no difference when it comes to justice. We all deserve hell. That's where I deserve to go, probably more than most people or probably more than all people even listening to this video. But... There's a radical difference in, in sanctification. When you've been born again, you've been purged of your sins, you have a new heart, a new spirit, you are literally a new creation. And so you do look different. And if you don't, you need to examine yourself, test yourself, and see if you're in the faith. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul said. 
That's what Jesus said. And so I, I hope you've enjoyed this video. God bless you. Have a great day.